like there's a judge that we face with no Christ and the lawyers bringing a briefcase. How many Bear fans out there? How many of you guys try and be as optimistic as I'm trying to be? Yeah, football season's on the horizon. I'm a football fan. You have nothing else but hope when you're a Bears fan sometimes, so we're, we're banking on hope. When the fall comes around, different things start coming back around school, the football season, playoff baseball, all kinds of things like this. What we see, though, is in these kind of sports, I, I was thinking about this this week, football in particular is a sport where a superstar cannot necessarily change a team, like he could in basketball, for instance. Uh, football is kind of the epitome of a team game. You, know, you can have a great quarterback, that's the person who throws or hands the ball off, but if the guys in front aren't blocking well for him, that quarterback is not going to be very, very successful. You can have a star wide receiver, that's the one who catches the ball. But if you don't have someone to get the ball to him, it's kind of useless. And the same goes on defense. And, you know, when we look at sports, we, we see this team game. And, you know, they say there's no I in team. Because in, in, in football in particular, there is a need for the team to come together. Yesterday, something remarkable happened during the USC football game, a college football game against Western Michigan. There was a player named Jake Olson who went on the field. Any of you guys hear this story? Okay, you're in for going here. Jake Olson has been blind since he was 12 years old. And he went in at the end of the game as a long snapper, which means the team had scored a touchdown and they're getting ready to, to kick a field, uh, an extra point. He was the one to snap the ball so the kicker could kick it. But he's been blind since he was 12 years old. And I was just blown away to see this guy step on the field. Now, he was following another guy who's going to be, uh, I think, another lineman. And he put his hand on his shoulder, and they ran out on the field together. He got to his spot, and they told him where the ball was at. He kind of felt, made sure, went down, snapped it. They kicked it and got their extra point. And, of course, the whole stadium at that point who knew Jake's story just erupted. How could a blind player play a snap in a football game? And in an interview after the game, Jake says, you know, coach always tells us that we have to trust our teammates. We have to trust our teammates, and that's what makes us a strong team. You know, when I see that, I just see it dripping with illustration for the church. Because, you know, when it comes down to it, God has gifted all of us. He's given all who are followers of Jesus what's called a spiritual gift. He's given us giftings. But we have to understand we, we come together in this. It's not, a, it's not a game that we are all by ourselves. But the, but the church is a unity, is a unified people. And we may have gifts, but we need one another. And so that's what the picture that we, we see there in, in the sporting world that applies to the church world. We've been going through a series here at the Brook on the church. What is the church? And we say it often, you're not at church right now. And you guys are like, I, I thought I was. No, you're not at church right now, I promise you. You're with the church right now, right? So the church is not a building, it is the people. 
And that's what the Bible tells us. And as the people, God has given all these different metaphors and ideas of what it's like. We've seen already how, how God uh, relates us to sheep, and Jesus is the shepherd. We saw last week how God relates us to family, and God is our father. And today we're going to look at how God relates the church to a body, and Jesus is the head. And, and this is the picture we're going to unpack. And my hope is, as we talk about this, we don't understand some important things. Because this idea of, of a unified whole that all have a role to play, a part to play in the body, is something that empowers us. It helps us understand that we have a purpose. I think a lot of times, many of us go around life aimless, purposeless. And there are a few things that grieve me, actually, when I, when I see adults who who just feel like there's no purpose in life. And I feel heavy-hearted for them. Because the truth is, as those who've been created in God's image, God has a purpose and a plan for us. And maybe you come today just kind of unsure what your purpose in life is like. You're, you're on the daily grind. You're, you're running that rat race, as they say. And we know that, how that looks like. You get up early, you eat breakfast, and then you go to work. And then you come home from work and you eat dinner. And you get about an hour to, to yourself and probably not even that. And then you go to sleep. And then you wake up and you do it all over again. And sometimes you're like, what's the point? What, what's the plan? What's the aim? What's the purpose? And when God relates the church to a body, he's like, hey, you've got a purpose. You belong. If you are a follower of Jesus, you belong to God's perfect purpose plan with the church. And I know there are some of us here today who may not know what that looks like, what that means, and my hope, my desire, I pray that you would come to see that God has a plan, and it starts for you by putting your faith in Jesus. So today we're going to talk about what it means for the church to be a body, what it means for us to play a part. We all have a part to play. So before we get in God's word in 1 Corinthians 12, I want to pray and just ask God's help as I, as I preach the scriptures here. So let, let's pray together, family. God, I thank you, Lord, just for your faithfulness, God, your, your kindness to us, the way you love us. I'm excited, God, to open your word for my brothers and my sisters here. God, I pray that you would do something sweet in our lives. Lord, maybe some of us are tired this morning. Maybe some of us are distracted by life. And God, I pray that you would give us the ears to hear, the eyes to see what you would want us to hear and see. God, for those today who, who don't know their purpose in life, they don't understand why they're here, I pray, God, that you'd make it very clear to them. And God, for others who maybe understand the purpose but are just so frustrated because of how difficult life can be, I pray that you would light a fire underneath them and a fire within them, and an excitement and a fresh vision for how you would want to use them. And so, God, I pray that you would do this sweet work in our lives. God, we, we pray that you would do this also in the lives of people in other churches in our community, and that together, God, you would do a sweet work in the city that we love. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you can, would you turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12? And again, there are Bibles and pews in front of you. That's in the New Testament of the Bible towards the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a fun chapter. I've enjoyed studying it this week. 
I think we'll enjoy going through it together here. Basically, what we're going to look at is what part do you have to play in God's great plan? As I mentioned, it begins with faith in Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, when you believe he died for you, you got to understand that he gives you something special in that moment. He gives you God's Holy Spirit. And with the Spirit, you get a gift. And we're going to talk about that, how you can use your gifts for God's glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what page is that on the Pew Bible in front? 910? 939? Got it. Is that right? 59. Turn to all of those. But 959 is where we're going to end up at. All right, I want to read verses 1 through 7 to get this passage in front of us. Paul's writing to a church in the city of Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. And in many cases, and as we see here, he's writing to address either a problem, correct a misunderstanding, to encourage. In this case, he's, he's writing to correct some misunderstandings. And the misunderstandings he wants to correct is that people misunderstand their part in God's plan. Verse 1 says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Verse 4. Now there are a varieties, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each, can you say each? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul says that God has given each of his children, that's every Christian, every child of God, a gift. But he says there, early on in verse 1, he doesn't want the church to be uninformed. He, He doesn't want them to be understood. When we're uninformed about something, There are a variety of ways we could go wrong. We can abuse what we think we know. We can neglect because we're uninformed. Or we can just develop some really wacky ideas. And the same is true when it comes to this idea of spiritual gifts. And Paul says, I don't want you guys to be uninformed. But notice, the corrective for being uninformed is is not to ignore something, but to become informed about it. And so we're going to learn this part to play in order that we can play it in God's plan. He says that the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, allows and enables the followers of Jesus to say that Jesus is Lord. And he says whoever is a follower of Jesus cannot say that Jesus is accursed. And what Paul is getting at here is saying this, that no one genuinely puts their faith in Jesus and proclaims him as their master unless God the Holy Spirit has made that possible for them to do. Unless the Spirit of God is working in them. And in the same way, no one says, I hate Jesus and I'm not going to follow him unless they hate Jesus and choose not to follow him. And so Paul basically says that the Holy Spirit enables our confession of faith. And then he says, in order to empower our expression of faith. He shows us how to live out this thing that we call the Christian faith. And so he says in verse 4 that, he, that the Spirit gives us gifts, abilities. And he says there are varieties of gifts. 
In fact, you might have noticed that that word variety shows up three times in verses 4 and 5 and 6. He says there are varieties of gifts, but there is the same Lord, the same Spirit, the same God. And what Paul wants us to see is that within God's family, there are varieties of giftings, but it's all under the unified whole of God's empowering. And this is important for us, because when we look around, we, we have to understand we're all different. We all have different gifts, different strengths, and different weaknesses. But really, all of that is part of what God expects, because that's how he's made up our DNA as a church. And so he says this is the case, that we've all been given different gifts. We've been empowered. That means they're supernatural. They're given by God, by the one spirit, so we should be unified in it. You know, if you've been around the church world long enough, and if you haven't, I'm glad you probably haven't seen this, but one of the most divisive issues in the church is this thing called spiritual gifts, which Paul says it should be a unifying thing because there's one God who's given us the gifts. And so what I want us to see is how we can be unified in our gifts and use them for the purpose God has made us to use them for. If we look in verse 11, let's drop down there real quick. He says, all these gifts are empowered by one the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, this is a beautiful passage because it tells us the gifts are are empowered by God to keep us unified, but also reminds us there in verse 11 that God apportions to each one individually as God wills. That is to say, whatever you are good at, you are good at it because God made you good at it. And that's reason for rejoicing. And that's also reason to not resent what you're not good at. See, God has chosen to gift you in a particular way. And we as a church who are part of a body with Jesus as the head have some important roles to play, and we're different from one another. Now, I skipped over verses uh, 7 through 10, because there Paul lists out a variety of different kind of ways that God gifts his people. If we see here in 1 Corinthians 12, if we could turn our Bibles to Romans 12 or Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4, those four passages teach us about this idea of spiritual gifts. And what it does is it lists out about 20 different ways that God gifts people. And we have to understand these gifts are not exhaustive, nor does God say, and that is all the gifts. No, it's saying these are gifts, but not to say that there aren't other ones. So you've got to hear that out. But he lists out about 20 different gifts throughout the New Testament. And I'm going to go through pains here to mention them briefly because I want us to think about this. If you are part of God's family, which you are if you put your faith in Jesus, then you have to understand that God has given you a gift. Paul says to each, I had you guys say that word out loud, to each he has given a gift. So which means as I read out this list, you're going to hear things say, hey, I think I'm good at that which may mean that might be what God has gifted you at. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But here we look at verse 7. He says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, that's a spiritual gift, for the common good. Verse 8, For no one, I'm sorry, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith, and he goes on to talk about healing, miracles, prophecy, Distinguishing between spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, 
as well. Those are all listed here in 1 Corinthians 12. And there's other ones listed throughout the scripture. So here's one that we see here. is this idea of prophecy. A prophet in the New Testament is one who receives a word from God and speaks it to other people. And that's really what that gift is like. And there are some that God gives that gift to. Now, it is not like the Old Testament prophet who says, thus saith the Lord, and if it's wrong, then you should stone that person. Or we're not stoning people here. Because in the gift of prophecy in the New Testament, saying, hey, I believe this is what God is saying, but you've got to test that. Okay? We always have to test it. But that's how the gift of prophecy is. He mentions also in another passage that there's a gift of service. Some people are just uniquely gifted at coming to the need of another person. You might know people like that. Whenever you need help, they seem to be around. They're the one asking frequently, hey, how can I help you? How can I come alongside of you? Because they're gifted at that. That might be you. Teaching is another gift. A particular ability to unpack and teach God's word in particular. Exhortation is a spiritual gift. We can spur on the faith of another person, either by encouraging them or confronting them, but you're, you're trying to spur them on to love God. Giving is another gift mentioned in the Bible. Some people have a radical kind of generosity about them, which is really grounded in the faith because they believe God will provide. So they're just extremely generous. There's a gift of leadership. People are able to guide God's people. There's gifts of mercy, those who seem to have an extraordinary amount of compassion for those who are struggling. You know those people. They're the ones who really, they, they, they come into your pain and, and they're there to walk with you. Paul mentions here the gift of wisdom, which in, a, in this passage I think refers to the wisdom to understand that Jesus is the Lord, our God. There's a gift of knowledge, which seems to imply a special insight into God's word. There's a gift of faith, where some people just courageously believe God in ways that maybe others of us who are weaker in our faith just aren't there yet. Some are just courageous in that way. Here he speaks of the gift of healing, which can be physical and emotional healing. He says there are varieties of healing. And one writer says that it seems to be that when, when God gives someone an endowment to, to speak a, a word of healing over someone, it's for that moment. But I, I don't typically see that someone has a gift of healing and they're able to heal on the dime, but God gives healing for the moment. And we've seen and heard of stories where God has healed people. It's God who does it and he gets all the glory for it. Paul mentions the gift of miracles later on, which would be things other than healing, that God seems to, in his plan, when he wants, use people to accomplish some miraculous things. I believe God can and God does it. He talks about distinguishing spirits to understand what's from God and what's not from God. He mentions the gift of tongues, which in the book of Acts is an earthly language, where people say, hey, I hear you speaking my language. And here in 1 Corinthians, Paul seems to imply there's a language that's not earthly. It's, it's ecstatic. It's not to be understood by natural ears. And God uses that gift for some people to be able to pray to God and to, to enjoy a kind of fellowship with him that's unique in that way. Others have been given the ability to interpret those kinds of languages. Then there's a gift of helping, which is coming to the aid of others. Then there's a gift of administration the Bible talks about. Those are the people who like spreadsheets. They, they like saying the word Excel. 
And I'm just like, that's not my spiritual gift. No. And they talked about apostles, which in a narrow sense refers to the 12 that Jesus raised up, but in a broader sense refers to those who are sent out. And I would say those who are missionaries have the gift of apostleship where they're sent out to start churches and things like that. There's a gift of an evangelist. Now, clearly, we're all called to be evangelists. But there are some who are so uniquely gifted where they can open the truths of the good news of Jesus in such unique ways that are compelling. And then lastly, there's a gift of shepherding. And some are just uniquely gifted at just leading God's people, caring for them. Those are 20 gifts that the Bible mentions. And again, this is not an exhaustive list, but I hope what it does is it helps you understand, okay, I've got a gift, and it probably falls somewhere in these realms. We have to understand that a gift, a spiritual gift, is a God-given ability used for a God-glorifying purpose. So what, what has God made you good at? What has he made you good at? And what Paul says is, well, then you have a part in God's plan. You have a purpose to use these gifts for the common good. I think sometimes we forget that the Christian faith is more than just a Sunday morning. I mean, Jesus didn't raise from the dead, get his disciples and say, all authority has been given to me, therefore meet me on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. See you there, God. But he says, go and make disciples. Use the gifts I've given you and let it pervade your life in building each other up. And so Paul has established that everyone has a spiritual gift. But now, how does that relate to a body? That's the question I want us to answer now. Well, look what he says here, following on. He says, the church is like a body. Some of us, our gifts are like the hand. Some of our gift is like the eye or the nose, or the mouth, and so forth. But Jesus is the head, and we are all part of this body together. This is why I mentioned to us last week, we have responsibilities toward one another as family and part of the body. Now, I did give you guys a homework assignment last Sunday, and if you were here, um, I'm going to jog your memory. I mentioned as family, we have responsibility toward each other, and the same is true as being a part of the body, to love well. And I asked you, who can you love well this week? To protect by guarding our lips and not gossiping. Again, it's so divisive to gossip. Family, if you hear someone gossip, stop them in their tracks and tell them that's not from God. I can't hear that. And if you're tempted to gossip, you walk away, you run away if you got to. That's how we protect. That's how we relate to each other as a body. We remind each other that our world won't accept us always, and that's okay. And that we're called to motivate each other of who God has made us to be, waiting for Jesus to come back. So as the body, we have these same responsibilities that we talked about last week. But we also have a role to play using our gifts. Let's look at verse 14. Look what Paul says here. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. That's true. In verse 16, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I love how he puts it here. We could talk about our gifts, but when we take it through the illustration of a body, your hand cannot say, hey, I don't want to be a part of the body. You can say that all you want, but your hand is still part of your body. What Paul is telling us here is that all of us belong when we are part of God's family. You have a purpose. You belong. And you can say, I don't feel like I belong. And that may be how you feel, but that's not the way it is. You belong. Just recently, man, there's a a friend of mine on Facebook lives out of state. And he just said a comment on his Facebook page. And he said, I don't understand the point of it all. And he said something to the effect of, it's not worth it. Talking about his life. And my heart went, went in pain for the guy. Because he's a guy who believes he doesn't belong. And this is what I want us to hear, family. See, when Jesus went to the cross for us, he's saying that we have intrinsic value. We have value as those who are made in God's image. You have value in God's sight. And you have a purpose in God's plan. But his purpose is always to glorify himself, for God's name to be lifted high. So when we use our gifts, we do it because we want people to know how great our God is. And so if you not put your faith in Jesus, you're not part of God's family yet. You're not part of the body. And so we want you to understand is that there is this real thing in our life called sin. We all know it. We've all got it. And if you, if you, you know, we, we know this is part of us. It's not just the things we do, although certainly that, but it's also the things within our hearts. It's the things in our mind. And it's the sins in our lives that separate us from God. And God says, when you are walking your sin apart from me, you have no business in my family or part of my body. lose my place here. But, but here it is. God is a God who in his compassion has made a way for us to be a part of his family, to be a part of the body. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he took your sin, the very thing that separates you and I from God, Jesus took that upon himself on the cross so that you don't have to pay that punishment of death. Jesus died. But Jesus also rose from the grave. That's why I love how Paul says, no one who is filled with the Spirit can say Jesus is accursed, but those who are filled will say Jesus is Lord. Jesus can't be your master from the grave, but he can from his throne. So Jesus is alive, and he's made a way for all who are here to be a part of God's family. But you're not a part of God's family because you're here today. You're part of God's family when you put your faith in Jesus. You know what that means? Saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've, I've done things that displease you, God. Would you forgive me? I believe Jesus died for me. I want to live for you. I'm going to be part of your family. And in that moment, God adopts us as sons and daughters like we talked about last week. And in that moment, he gives you his Holy Spirit. And he says, hey, I have a purpose and a plan for you to make much of me. And so when this friend of mine on Facebook mentioned this, I, pers- I messaged him personally and said, hey, man, 
God, God wants you to put your faith in him. That's where life's meaning is. We have a purpose to make much of Jesus. And so when God has given you a gift to choose to not use it, it's to choose to say, I don't want to make much of God. That's not what God wants for us. So we see that all of us have a role to play. But if we read on here in verse 21, we see that none of us are indispensable either. He says that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our, uh, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Nobody is indispensable. All of us have a purpose and a role and a part to play in God's family. So what does that look like here at the brook? What does that look like when you go to work tomorrow, when you go home today? Well, it looks like looking around you and saying, God, where can I use my gifts? I want to give you six ways, six things I want you to do in light of what we're talking about here. Six things. The first one is, I want you to identify how God has gifted you. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, here are a few ways. What do you enjoy doing? What do you enjoy doing? What are you good at? And what do people seem to say that you're good at? Sometimes we can enjoy doing things we're not very good at. You've seen American Idol, right? But there are things we enjoy doing sometimes that others say, hey, you're pretty good at that. And then what I'd say to identify the gift, well, try it out. Try it out. It seemed like I'm interested in teaching. Well, seek ways to teach. Talk with us as a leadership at the church. Maybe you're good with kids. Well, you know what? I, I want to help out with the Brook Kids in nursery. I want to help out that single mom who's, who's having a hard time with their kids. I, I want to help out there. I want to come alongside of my friends who just seems overloaded or overwhelmed. See what you're good at and plug in. So the first thing is identify your gift. The second one is use your gift. Use it. Sometimes what we do is the reason we don't use our gifts is we compare ourselves to other people. I'm good at this, but that person is way better than me, so I'm going to sit here on the sidelines. That's why I love the story of Jake Olson. How he said, you know, he may be blind, but he knew he had a gift, an ability, so to speak, on that football field. Don't found, be found comparing yourself to other people because that, that's, a, that's a spiral, a slippery slope that's hard to get out of. Some other things that prevent us from using our gifts is sometimes we say, well, I did my time already. I've done that before. Like it's a, like a prison sentence. Like, hey, the nursery might feel like that sometimes. But, but you know, we, we've got to say, you know what? This is not a matter of doing my time. God, I want to serve you. You've given me a gift. I don't want to neglect it. I want to use it so people see you through me. Sometimes people say, well, 
I don't have time to use my gifts right now. To which I'd say, yes, you do have time. You just filled it with other things. We've all got 24 hours. What do you do with it? So identify your gift. Second, use your gift. Third, cultivate your gift. If it's a gift from God, then treasure it to the extent in which you say, God, help me grow in this. Maybe you have a gift of serving people, but you may not know how to do it so well. And you're trying to grow in it. Say, God, just pray. Say, God, help me, help me grow as a person who serves. Help me grow in my compassion. Help me understand how to use this gift. And then surround yourself with people who are better than you and learn from them. Get into scriptures and study the scriptures. Say, God, teach me how to use my gifts. But some of you won't do that. Some of us won't do it because it takes work. But if we treasure it, we'll do it. The fourth thing is to rejoice with others in their gifts rather than coveting others with their gifts. You know, social media is a, a brutal thing sometimes. And you see people posting pictures of what they're doing. Maybe they're serving at a soup kitchen, or maybe they're, they're speaking somewhere in a different city or state. And you start looking and start thinking, man, what am I doing here? You know, I got to get up tomorrow early morning, get back to the rat race. And we compare ourselves like this, and this is not what God wants for us. First of all, let's rejoice in the way he uses other people, and let's celebrate them. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I'm so thrilled that the doors God's opening for you. Man, will those continue to increase? And then pray for them, and God will protect them. Let's rejoice with others. Fifthly, let's identify the gifts in other people. Sometimes we have a hard time seeing what we're good at, and we need someone to tell us what they see. Uh, this happened to me in a very real way. When I was in college, I was a, a sophomore, maybe a freshman actually in, in college, and a friend of mine pulled me aside one day, and he said, Eric, you ever thought about preaching? I said, you know, it's interesting. I, I, you know, it's, it's on my mind. He says, when the preacher preaches, do you ever feel like, hey, I want to do that? Is there a fire in you? He was like, yeah, I guess so. I, I never identified. He's like, maybe you have the gift of preaching. You, you should pray about that. You should cultivate it. And that person, my friend, spoke into me those words. And, and from that point on, changed my thinking. I didn't see it, but I needed someone else to see it. And sometimes our insecurities prevent us from seeing it. Our fears, because we think we're going to fail. We look at the list saying, God, I didn't see anything for me on those lists of 20 things Pastor read. Well, someone you need to get next to that brother and sister say, no, 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 you, you've got gifts. There was a youth pastor who once was teaching on this with his youth. And a girl with low self-esteem said, well, I'm, I, if everyone has a part in the body, I'm the appendix. And to which he said, well, then be an appendix for the glory of God. See, we have a purpose. Nobody's indispensable. All of us have the opportunity to shine God's light. Let's not be so self-focused that we can't look to other people and help them out. Sixthly, use your gifts for God's glory and not your own. I think sometimes when we seem to excel in what we're good at, it's very easy to want all the credit for that, isn't it? It's very easy to want to help people see that we're using our gift. And sometimes one of the greatest tests of how self-focused or God-focused we are is, can you use your gift 
and make sure no one ever sees you do it for a moment? Can you do something and not get any credit for it? Sometimes giving anonymously will do that like nobody, like no other business, man. You, you, you can give someone a gift. You can write them a letter. You know, write it with your left hand so they don't, can't track your finger, your, your, your cursive style. You give it to that person and you don't tell anybody about it. Is those kinds of things that help us see, God, is this for your glory so people can say, God, thank you? Or is this for my own fame? So there are six things I want us to see. Identify your gift. Use your gift. Cultivate it. Rejoice with others. Identify the gifts in others and use all of it so that God gets all the credit for it. We said that our gifts are God-given ability for God-glorifying purpose. Church family, I love the metaphors that God gives us in the scriptures. We're sheep, we're brothers and sisters, and we all have a part to play in God's grand purposes. If you have a hard time maybe finding out your part, would you ask others? Get connected with other people. And let, let's, let's pull out the best from one another. As I mentioned earlier, maybe today you're not a part of God's family, but God's disturbing you. You say, man, God, I, I want what you have to offer me. I want to be adopted as your, your, your daughter or, or as your son. God, I want, I want your purpose for my life. Well, as, as we close here in a moment, we do this every week. We have a prayer team that comes up. They come here in the front corners and in the back. They're here to pray with people. They're here to pray with you. Maybe today you want to make that step of faith for the first time and say, God, I'm done trying to live my life on my own. I'm done with the rat race, trying to figure out things and being frustrated because I got no purpose. God has a purpose for you. Will you let someone pray with you? Put your faith in Jesus. Maybe there's others of you today just saying, you know, I know what God has gifted me, but I don't know how to step out courageously. I don't know what to do with it. Man, maybe someone here in a prayer team can pray for you help you know how to plug in. Another thing for starters with the Brooke family, we have a variety of ways you can use your gifts. We have our welcome, our connection team. We have the Brooke kids downstairs. You saw all those kids on the stage. We need help. We need help. They're a gift, but man, we need help. Maybe it's with the worship team or the tech team doing sound and audio. Maybe it's with the real communities. Maybe you want to host a real community in your home. You're saying, I have the gift of hospitality and I've been letting it lay dormant for too long. I want to open my home. Let us know and start, start thinking, praying through it. God, what could I do? And then just don't limit your gifts to, the, to here, but say, God, how can I use my gifts to reach other people for you? Family, we've got a part to play. Let's be sure we play it. Let's not sit on the sidelines. Let's do all we have as long as there's breath in these lungs of ours. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. And then we're going to close in song and invite the prayer team to come on up. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, that nobody in your family is indispensable. I thank you, God, that nobody in your family is without a purpose. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would all see that in fresh ways today. That we'd have a certain kind of thankfulness. God, I pray that we would be so discontent if we're not using our gifts. Father, for others who are here today who are not a part of your family, Lord, they're, they're still an enemy of God. They're separated from you, Lord. I pray that today would be the day 
where they put their faith in Jesus, that they turn from their sin, that they repent, and they can know your love in ways they've never known it before. God, we, we want to be faithful to you. We want to be unified as your church. And so God, give us the courage to step out. Help us lay aside excuses. Let us lay aside insecurities and fears. And say, Lord, use me for your plans. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.